You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. I'm Anne Delaney. Thanks for joining me. I'd uh, firstly like to start and acknowledge that I'm speaking to you today from the lands of the Urukwal people from the Bundjalung Nation in northern New South Wales. Now, you've probably been hearing about smart energy technology, smart meters, smart inverters, smart battery systems, smart cars, smart home management systems, smart controls, even a smart electricity grid. It's an image of our future energy use that appears enticing, all these smart energy appliances that can talk to each other. And it's possible because of the energy transition we're going through. So in the next couple of podcasts, I'll be talking to a couple of people with different views on how or even whether smart technology can deliver householders what we will need and want. Today, my guest is Raghu Balor, the Chief Product Officer for Enphase. It's a high-tech, clean energy company based in California that supplies integrated energy systems like solar and batteries. It's Raghu's job to think about the future and work out what clean energy technology we're going to need. And as you'll hear, he believes our energy future will depend on what we do locally in our homes. So I started my chat with Raghu by asking him what he thinks will happen to energy demand when we all have electric vehicles, heat pumps and induction stoves. The energy demand per home is going to more than double in this transformation. The question is, how do you service more than doubling of energy demand per home? It's nearly three times, isn't it? More electricity that we're going to need. Yeah. Yeah. Three times the demand, and it has to be delivered to the end point, which is the home, and it has to be delivered in a manner that is not, it's not average demand, right? It's not like, the demand's very peaky. What that means is there's more demand in the mornings, there may not be a lot of demand in the afternoon. You come back home from work, you come back home and you start preparing dinner, etc. you turn on your air conditioner, so the demand's very high again later in the evening. So the demand isn't very smooth either. So the two challenges are, one is the increased demand, the two and a half to three X times, and the demand not being very smooth, it becomes very peaky. And those are those are definitely some interesting problems to solve. So Raghu, <laughs> you've got the job of trying to solve some of those problems. How, how are you going about that? Yeah, so if you go back to first principles and think about it, um, you know, you have to have additional energy sources. And obviously, solar is the most obvious one. We have an abundance of, um, you know, photons uh, landing on our roof every day. And so leveraging solar renewables uh, does address a big part of that problem. Now, when you think about renewables, you have to think about renewables in the context of there is the renewables at the home, which is our residential solar systems. And then there is renewables done at the centralized uh, generation uh, locations Mm. as well. Um, That comes through the grid. 
yeah, that comes through the transmission lines, the substations, and all the distribution wires, wires, et cetera, and gets delivered to the home. We need both. It's not like one's going to solve everything, right? We absolutely need both. I think Australia is doing a really good job in trying to bolster genera centralized generation of renew um, through renewables, but you have to, have to solve renewables at the home. We call that a distributed system where it's not only centralized, but it's also completely distributed, meaning every home is its own generation uh, source, and it's capable of servicing the demands of the home. Now, obviously, we also understand that solar is an intermittent resource. So pairing solar with a battery really opens up a lot of possibilities because what I can do then is when I have the abundance of solar, I can store all that energy locally and then use it at the time that there is demand. What I want to do is I want to use my solar to charge up my batteries, and then in the evening when I come back home, our demand goes up, and that's when I can use my battery to service that local that demand at that point in time. So the combination of solar and batteries is extremely important because the reality is there is servicing three and a half, three x the demand servicing that peaky demand simply not going to be possible with centralized generation alone. It's just impossible because there are a number of what I call power bottlenecks all along the way from the from the place where you generate centrally in some far off location. You know, you're going to transmit all that extra power and energy. You're going to come through the substation, through all the distribution wires, transformers, and deliver to the home. There are many, many points of bottleneck along the way. And, and so the better way to do it, in my opinion, is to do it at the home itself, where the home um, can produce its own energy, store its own energy, and use its own energy intelligently. What, what are we going to need, though, to be able to manage our homes where they're generating and managing this electricity, this extra electricity supply that we're going to need? What else are we going to need to be able to do that? That's a great question, right? If you look at the way the electrical infrastructure or an energy infrastructure has evolved today, look at how we interact with it. All we do is we walk up to a light switch and we flip that light switch on and the light shows up and the light turns on, sorry. We really don't think about the whole process and the technology behind how those electrons get delivered from the centralized generation unit, could be a gas-powered plant or a coal-powered plant or a hydroelectric plant or whatever it may be. That electron traveled thousands of miles over transmission lines, distribution, so substations and distribution infrastructure, and it, and it turned on my light bulb, right? So simple, right? We have to achieve that same level of simplicity within the home as well, even though the home itself produces its own solar, stores it, and uses it at another time. And I think for that, you need a pretty sophisticated software and hardware system that can make it pretty seamless for the homeowner. So the homeowner comes on, flips the light switch, the light still comes on, um, except it's from electrons that were produced up on the roof. They may have been produced a few hours back because they were stored into the battery and then the battery discharged it into the light bulb, but it's all completely, completely seamless. So I think what the renewable energy, what, what renewables on the home does is 
it meets that promise. I can be very economical. Solar is a very economical proposition for the home anymore. If you look at, you know, solar can be made extremely reliable with the, uh, with, with, with the introduction of batteries and high-efficiency batteries uh, and long-lasting batteries lit like lithium-ion-based batteries. Um, obviously, solar is very clean. It's a, a truly a renewable resource. And of course, you know, we have made a, if the, if you deploy the right kind of technology, it's also a very safe technology, right? So I think it really checks all of the boxes in terms of um, um, meeting this energy transformation. So are you suggesting that householders can transition a hell of a lot faster than, than what we can transition the grid? And so we need to put the emphasis on householders? Absolutely. If you look at the change that has taken place in the energy infrastructure, particularly in the grid, and compare that to changes that have taken place in solar, you know, it's orders of magnitude. Look at the change in terms of cost, performance, reliability, et cetera, that our industry has undergone over the last 10 years, and compare that to what's happened in the last 10 years in the energy infrastructure in the, or the grid. Uh, the grid hasn't evolved in the last 100, 120 years. And we have seen a massive change and massive evolution in the in in the renewable energy industry, particularly uh, distributed solar or, um, or or solar on homes. So I think, and it's I would argue it's because of um, of um, you know private enterprise. We invest tremendous amount of money and effort and talent into innovation, and uh, that's what we do. And we have done. Uh, and you know the whole premise of Enphase was to to really question the way even residential solar was being done um, in the past and questioning that and saying, no, there's a better way. And the better way is to do it through what we do, which is through microinverters and a fully distributed architecture. And that innovation involves everything from digital technologies to communication, to lots and lots of software, and even within our device, lots of semiconductors and highly specialized, customized semiconductors, right? So we built this really intelligent system in order to deliver this new technology to the home. That's what's enabled the proliferation of our new technology, of these new technologies. So, so Raghu, paint a picture of the what you hope to be the, the house of the future, which will be uh, managed by one of these home management energy systems. What's it, what's it going to look like? What can it do? Absolutely, right? If you think about, there are a few things that have happened if you look at technology history. Over time, technology evolves where... You know, you go from centralized technologies to distributed technologies. Let me explain and give some examples. If you look at how we started back in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, we had these, you know, all uh, computers were centralized. There used to be these big mainframes, right? And today, if you look, the power of those mainframes are in, on our laptops, right? So the all the intelligence that was centralized got pushed to the end user, to the end point. In network parlance, what it means is that endpoints become more and more intelligent. The home becomes more and more intelligent. And the endpoints make more and more autonomous decisions. They optimize locally. What that means is they are working to deliver 
the best uh, economics or whatever the homeowner may choose, the best economics, the smallest carbon footprint, whatever the homeowner may choose, they optimize locally. But since all of these systems are very intelligent and are at the end point, they can also talk to each other and they can trans transact energy amongst each other. So not only are they optimizing locally, but they're also hyper aware of what's going on around them and try to do the right thing for the entire network, right? That's a distributed architecture. And so the way we think about it is if history is true, technology particularly, technology history is true, then we should see similar evolution in the energy infrastructure as well. Instead of what we call today a hub and spoke model where all the generation is centralized and the home is just a consumer, we are saying, no, now the home becomes the unit of intelligence. The home has solar and batteries and EV chargers and heat pumps and all the communications and all the software to federate all the power flow between all of these disparate resources in order to deliver the best use case for the homeowner. Like I said, whether that's economics or carbon footprint or whatever the homeowner may choose. So we see, and that is what we refer to as an energy management system, right? So the home becomes a, a like a microgrid. Uh, absolutely, the home can become a microgrid, can form its own microgrid, but can also, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be fully isolated away from the grid. I'm not, I, I'm on the, of the belief that the grid has done a lot of positive things. Our success is not dependent on the grid going away. Our success can leverage what the grid has already done because all of this, the wiring and the distribution infrastructure already exists. Why get rid of that? The home, like I said, can be a microgrid optimized locally, but if I have excess energy, as an example, right? Let's say my, I have plenty of solar, my batteries are full, my cars are charged up, and I have all this excess energy, I should, in, as an example, be, trying, be able to send that energy over to my neighbor's home and get paid for it, right? So you can think about this notion of transacting energy across the network, but you see how it's not centralized anymore. Every home is capable of doing that. Now, the important thing to note here is that even though there is this complex energy management system sitting there and you have unprecedented level of visibility and control through your app and it knows exactly what your solar is doing, your battery is doing, your cars are doing, your, your loads are doing, your consumption is doing, everything's available at our fingertips, but you don't have to use it. It needs to be completely seamless. It needs to be so seamless that I can walk over and flip that light switch on and the light bulb always comes on. I don't need to have a very sophisticated interaction with my system or an app. I still have that simplicity of usage, but all the complexity is abstracted away from the end user. So, so essentially the technology is, is controlling who's buying my electricity or where I'm getting it from and at what times, etc. I, I can go about my business, I can relax in my own home, I'm, I don't have to be on top of it, so to speak. 
Yeah, you know, you, if you're curious and you want to understand how, where all these electrons are flowing and, hey, did, is, is, when I turn on, turn on this light switch, did those electrons come directly from solar or did they go into my battery and then they come into, and then the battery turned on my light switch? Or someday, hey, did it charge my car? And now my car is now bidirectional, which means my car is discharging energy into the grid. Yeah, if you're curious, you absolutely should have access and should be absolutely be able to see it. If you don't want to know about it, that should be just fine as well. Let the complexity be a layer below where you just don't need to even to be aware it just happens, right? So Enphase develops a lot of this technology, the, the, the stuff for the roof, for solar, the batteries, um, EV chargers, EV chargers soon becoming bidirectional, all that sophisticated interaction with the grid, because the grid's present, grid just becomes another source of energy. And I may choose to buy from the grid, I may choose to sell to the grid, whatever the construct may be, the sophisticated energy management system takes care of all that for you and does whatever optimization you choose. You may say, hey, I want the best economics. Or you may say, I want the best economics, but I also want you know, the lowest carbon footprint. And the system will always try to optimize between those two. For example, you may say, I only want to charge my car from green electrons. What that means is it says, okay, I'll only charge your car when I have excess solar. And sometimes it may be better to sell to the grid. That's, that would be an economic use case. To summarize what I'm saying here is that the homeowner has unbelievable amount of independence and control uh, with a system like what we are building. Which is very different to, to what we have now, where we're all very reliant on utilities, some of which have uh, totally exploited us. Uh, you know, that happens when you are, you know, I, I, I speak <laughs> about it from the US context. It's a regulated monopoly. The fact is, the key word there is it's a monopoly, right? But, you know, there's a point to be made here, right? I mean, what's really amazing is that for the first time, if you look at what's happening here in California with the new uh, net metering rules, et cetera, where now the utility is, uh, you know, really recognizing the utilities and the public utilities commissions are all recognizing that, no, solar is, it's not niche anymore, we are, we are a, a real industry. We are real players in the energy infrastructure anymore. We have now at the seat of the table where we are actually selling and buying and selling energy from our solar systems per by home into the, into the grid at, uh, at market rates. And so it's like we have, a, we have a seat at the big boy table now. But that also <laughs> means that we need to we need to be very professional about it. We need to behave that way. We need to, to have that gravitas. And what that means is we need to be deploying very reliable systems out there. We need to be de deploying very cost-efficient systems. We need to be deploying very, very intelligent systems out there. We need to be leading the charge in transforming the grid. I mean, and what we are doing here is literally reinventing the grid from the inside out. I just want to go back to the, the, the smart home that you were talking about. How far are we from from creating those homes? Because one of the problems I, I see is the whole issue of bi-directional electric vehicles, which basically means that your electric car can charge your home, for instance. We're a little way from that. How long do you think it's going to take? 
we are in the midst of that transformation as we speak. I mean, every, uh, you know, every year you're going to see something new, right? I mean, uh, we were not thinking about bi-directional EVs very long, not long ago. And here we are probably two years away from having a real bi-directional, I mean, bi-directional EV systems in mass with all EV systems, all EVs will be capable of being fully bi-directional. That's coming in the next two to three years. But this evolution to this smart home or this intelligent energy system, that's happening as we speak. I mean, if you look at places like California, if you look at places like Germany, and now you, even for that matter, Australia, and a lot of places in Australia, you don't really ever deploy solar-only systems anymore. People are deploying solar, people are deploying batteries, people are buying EVs, people are moving to heat pumps. Etc. People are in, trying, uh, interacting with the grid, uh, you know, um, in a much more sophisticated way. So you, we are smack dab in the midst of this transformation. Having said that, we should also recognize that, for example, in the U.S., we are at about four percent penetration of solar. Mm. We have ninety-six percent left to go. I think Australia is, yeah, I don't think Australia is any more than about 15 to 20%. Australia is way ahead of everybody else, and that's sitting at 15 to 20%. We still have 80% to go in Australia. So, and that's solar only. And, uh, and so now we expect that most people who deploy solar will also be deploying batteries along with it. And, and that consumer is also thinking economics and they're thinking, hey, I should be buying an EV. Why should I be paying so much money for, for, for a gasoline, uh, for, for gas in a gasoline car? So they are already thinking along the lines of whole home electrification. And the moment you start thinking about those and you start adding solar and you start adding batteries and you start adding your car and someday car becoming bi-directional, you start thinking about, you know, you need a sophisticated energy management system that, like I said, optimizes both locally within the home as well as is capable of transacting energy with, with, with other players. One of the big impediments, though, Raghu, is the cost of these systems, and especially if you want to do everything all at once. A lot of people just cannot afford. What are we going to do about that? It's a simple matter of economics there, right? The asset class of renewables, solar in particular, now along with batteries, et cetera, is a asset class that doesn't have very high default rates. People typically don't, don't stop paying their bills, uh, sorry, their utility bills. It's kind of the last thing they ever stop, pay, stop paying. So it's a well understood and, a, uh, and an asset class, like I said, that has very low default rates. So financing is available. Financing is getting commoditized. And so what that means is that there are a lot of options available for people to say, hey, I don't need to pay cash for my system. I can go to my local bank, get a loan, and install a solar system. And solar, solar and energy system, and you know these kind of systems pay back, in, at least here in California, in five to six years, five to seven years, for a system that can last as long as 25 years. So it just makes economic sense to do it, right? This happens in Europe all the time. I mean, even if you go to Germany, they go to their local bank, they can get a quick loan, and uh, and the terms are favorable because the default rates are pretty low. Mm. 
I just want to talk about the, the, the role of government in financing too. In the United States, President Biden brought in the Inflation Reduction Act last year, which is you know, a massive multi-million dollar plan to lower energy costs and, and bolster the clean energy economy. What impact do you think those sorts of initiatives are going to have in America? Massive, massive impact. We are a, we are a poster child of that. You know, here here we, we started the company here in Silicon Valley back in 2006 and almost never manufactured our product here. We, we started manufacturing in China and then in India and now Mexico and now Romania. And now because of the Inflation Reduction Act, we just started manufacturing in the United States. It just makes business sense to manufacture products where you're going to sell them. This is everything here is local, right? The installations are all local. So it makes sense. It makes simple business sense to manufacture where you sell. US is one of our biggest markets. And so we just started manufacturing here. You know, it's also safer for us to manufacture here from an energy security point of view. Hey, we'll incent the right behavior. And guess what? People will come here. So there's so many solar companies, module companies, battery companies, of course, inverter companies are all moving manufacturing back in the United States. To that extent, Europe is looking at their own inflation, you know, IRA equivalent. I think all of those are very good things. Create local jobs, create high technology jobs. That's all very, very good. So I think governments can incent that, right? But incentives, my view on incentives are they should always be a catalyst. They should never be a crutch. So for us as an industry, we need to see, oh, an incentive comes in, great. Let's continue innovation. Let's spur the market, continue innovation so that we can wean ourselves off of these incentives over time. And uh, I think here in California, we've done a good job of that. I think in the U.S., we are doing a good job of that as we kind of over time, we have There was a lot of not only federal incentives, but state incentives. Some of the state incentives have have been um, have been reduced and the industry continues to grow and i think uh, but the government to, uh, has a major role to play you're listening to the switched on australia podcast and my guest today is ragu balor from enphase a high tech clean energy company based in california a major problem though with the vision you're painting ragu is these smart digital systems could be subject to cybersecurity and privacy breaches. I mean we're all obviously quite alarmed by some of the recent data breaches we've had here in Australia and none of us want similar things to happen with information that affects our homes and our families. Energy security is a huge deal. I almost joke that you know, funding of renewables or incentives for renewables should be part of the defense budget. (laughs) Because if I produce my own kilowatt hour locally, it's a kilowatt hour I don't have to buy from outside. Yes. Right? It's about energy security. Look at what happened in Europe. I mean, the unfortunate situation that continues on in Ukraine drove energy prices through the roof. That hurts economies. I mean, in, in places like Germany and, I mean, um, I, even in, 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 in the UK, Ireland, et cetera, I mean, people are talking 60, 70 cents a kilowatt hour for energy. And so, so the, 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 the desire to produce locally is as much about economics as it's about energy security. 
Energy security also comes into play when you've got systems that are very reliant on smart systems, your, your smart apps, your artificial intelligence. Isn't there a risk of cyber terrorism when you're dealing with all these smart apps for the, for the house, for instance? Um, absolutely. Um, and we just have to be uh, very cognizant of that. And we have to design our energy systems that, um, you know, really stay a step ahead of uh, in, 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 in managing security so that, uh, you know, systems don't get hacked. I mean, today we do, how much of our financial transactions do we make, do we do using our apps, right? We deal, mm. you know, all our banking we do uh, with our app, right? So, um, so it's something to be very cognizant of. It's something to be very uh, aware of. It's something to invest very heavily in to ensure that you're building very robust systems from a from a security point of view. Um, and and that's just I would consider it to be part of the course anymore. You just have to do it. So the picture that you're painting, Raghu, it, it's not just a case of saving money, decentralizing energy. It's also about creating greater resilience for our communities, isn't it? Absolutely. By definition, right, distributed architectures are always win in the long run. Distributed architectures are decentralized architectures. They win for cost, performance, and reliability reasons, and reliability resiliency reasons. So even from a cyber point of view, cybersecurity point of view, et cetera, you know, centralized plants, um, I would argue, are a little bit more vulnerable than distributed systems, even though the distributed systems, you know, you have to take the same level of precaution and the same level have the same level of security, but distributed, distributed systems, um, you know, you have to attack one home, one home at a time. So there is some built-in, you know, mm. cyber resiliency, if you may. Um, but at the same time, there is also resiliency in terms of, uh, just delivering power, right? I mean, for example, we saw, you know, we, here in California, we have power outages, but power outages may be due to um, high winds, and and we have what are called power public safety power shutdown events, where the utility says it's safer for them to shut down so as to not uh, because of high winds and not trigger a wildfire uh, from 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 transmission lines shorting. So. Um, and then what happens in that case? Guess what? If it's a distributed system, you know, I can isolate my system from the grid and form my own microgrid, and I create a very resilient system within within the home. You know, we had an unprecedented storms this winter, and a lot of us lost power because power lines snapped. There was crazy uh, weather. And by the way, you're going to see more and more of this crazy weather anymore. Mm. And uh, homes were able to isolate and run off their solar and battery systems. So mm. um, I think the resiliency happens at multiple levels. It happens at the power delivery level. It also happens at the cyber level. Just a final question, Raghu. How confident are you that we are going to be able to make this massive energy transition a success? I'm extremely confident because I see it happening. Yeah, we are in the midst of it. And the only thing that I'm disappointed by is the rate at which it's happening. We need to, ha it, need, it feels from within the industry, it feels like, wow, the industry is growing really fast. 
and that's great, but we still have a long ways to go. We just don't have that much time. If you're going to reach, if you're going to make sure that we don't cross the one and a half degree C threshold by whatever the date is, 2050, uh, we need to be moving fast. And by moving fast, it has to be grassroots and it has to be at the government level as well. We can't you can't do it only at the government level. You can't do it only at the grassroots level. Everybody has to work together to make that trend, to make that transition. But I'm I'm super bullish. Look, our job, in some sense, is to make sure that the right technologies that we develop the right technologies for it. I feel very confident about that. I feel like Enphase is investing very heavily. Our peers are also investing very heavily, and that the technology is be is there. Technology is there today, and it's only gonna get better. What do you think will speed it up? <laughs> I think there are many things that are going to speed it up. I think you're going to see, you know, 100-year storms that start happening every year. And people suddenly realize, oh, my God, I need to take control of my own energy. I, I just cannot rely on somebody else to deliver energy to me. And I, I really need to take care of my family. That will speed it up. Uh, utility rates going up will speed it up. And uh, government incentives and catalyzing uh, the deployments will speed it up. Right, things like IRA will speed it up. So I think you're, there are many things in play that are that that I think will continue to speed it up. We just need it to go even faster. Well, it's going to be an interesting process to watch. Raghu Balor, thank you very much for joining the Switched On podcast. Thank you, Anne. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. And Raghu Balor is the chief product officer for Enphase, based in California. Now, obviously, the home of the future that Ragu paints isn't one that everyone is going to have access to, but it also might not be what everyone wants. So next week, I'll be talking to someone who researches our attitudes and experiences of a range of domestic energy products and services. Dr. Hedda Ransan-Cooper, she's a social science researcher specialising in energy technology. I hope you can join me then. I'm Anne Delaney. See you next time.